Welcome to Adequate, the Sunday Company After Show, live from the Regal Beagle. Welcome, everyone, to uh, once again another installment of the Ado- Adequate Show. The Adequate uh, Show. your favorite Sunco players, as always. Uh, my name is Dan. I am Christian. I'm Adam. I'm Ernie. And we've got some other players at the table willing to participate on occasion with... Keely. Jason. Joe. <laughs> Fartbot 5000. Fartbot 5000. Our so just to, to run through the uh, set list tonight, uh, we start off with Schoolyard Insults, uh, Deck of Fate, or the Richard of Fate, as it's often known, Good Bad Advice, Mystery Who, One, Two, Three Heads, Dinner at Joe's, Blind Line, Armando, and Hey Waiter. Uh, interesting night tonight. We had heavy send people outside uh, sort of theme for the evening, uh, which I think Matt caught about halfway through the show and ended up uh, pulling a little switcheroo on some of the games. Uh, but overall, fun show, fantastic audience, over 50 people in the crowd tonight. Uh, what are some uh, what are some takeaways that you guys have from uh, tonight? Uh, big groups means big energy. We had a, a group of 13 people celebrating a birthday, as well as a group of six. I don't know if they were celebrating anything, but overall, when you've got a larger group of people that are open to improv and... and dramatic arts, if you will, uh, you definitely have that energy that builds up, and I think today we definitely had that from Brett and Co. Yeah, you know, I was working uh, box office, and a lot of them were new people who had never been to a show Again, before. the noobs. Yeah. We're getting the noobs quite a bit these yeah. days. That's good, though. And I asked, I asked how they heard about it, and they said they did a Google search, what to do Sunday night, some of them. The big group, it was the parents referred them, so we're getting referrals from other people. Other people, I said, have you been here before? They said, yes. I said, to a main stage show? Or, and they said, no, just Sunday company show. Awesome. That Love that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, who cares about that Friday, Saturday night show anyways, right? We have a dedicated fan base. That's what matters. <laughs> yeah, not only do we have a large audience, but we also are missing one player on stage. So we were playing with a group of six, which I actually think right. helped with the energy. I Absolutely. feel like the audience gets to know each player a little bit better. That's true. Them more and maybe it gets them on our side a little more. You can feel that. I, I don't know if you guys notice it all too, but like, I feel like as we come on to the stage and then leave the stage, you get a different set of people like clapping for certain players at the end of the night. Like certain people will connect with a player and that's the person that they want to send off. You know, like I kind of feel that a little bit. Yeah, I think we saw that in particular today when we had one of our audience volunteers come up on stage. She got to cast some of the players in terms of who she wanted them to play based off of real life people in her life. And it was specifically Victor playing her mother. What was going through their head when they saw that? Like. What made Victor such a great casting as that mom figure? What, it's, what his, it? it's his beautiful looks and that chest of his, I think, is really what played Victor, it. in your own words, why do you think they picked you as the mother? Uh, because I embody the, the, the dichotomy that they suggested of both kind and ruthless. You can see that from my face. <laughs> you know, and they'd seen you in a couple of other scenes, so maybe they had some idea. There was something, yeah, there's something about you. I think that's what it was. Early on, you probably established yourself in a certain way, and they thought, wow, that is so Mary the mom that we just we have to align those two things. Uh, you guys were talking a little bit about, uh, before we jumped on the podcast here, uh, how we connected the practice today into the show and what some crossover was for practice to the show. So one of the things that we've done over the last few weeks in terms of practices uh, are exercises of mapping. And there's two mapping exercises in particular. One that uses the acronym of MAP, which is M-A-A-P, 
which deals with um, the philosophy of a character and, and a couple of other more of those thematic approaches to how you build a character. And today we covered a little bit of the mapping around talking about one thing, but you're really talking about another thing. And I think today we had the opportunity through happenstance, through luck, through sheer improv, uh, the game of Blind Line, where in fact we were talking about fishing originally, but it turned out to be about a relationship between a father and a son, and how to really explore when you get to know your son, when you get to know that in fact it is your son or your father for the very first time after years of not knowing. That's true, and I guess it's it's like a you you don't learn any of that until you pick up the line that says I am your father, and then it it changes the entire complexity of the scene, which I think is is the real you know the real nuance of Blind Line that um, you know makes it exciting every single time. But where we saw the skill come in was when we had the two players on stage, Joe and Adam, and when. Adam picks up that line and he reads, I'm your father, establishing that relationship, making it feel real. It's what the connection that, that happened that made the connection, or the audience really connect with those characters and see that relationship truly evolve. So, Adam, like, what was going through your mind when you read that line out loud for the first time? I think I just tried to play it real, so I didn't just blurt it out. Once I saw what the line was, took a deep breath. And I saw. I actually <laughs> saw that from you a couple times in in that scene. Like, you, you took a moment, like you kind of you gathered the line, you took it in, and sort of delivered it in a way that would make it most relevant to the scene. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're about to tell your son who you've been friends with all this time that you're his father, you're not just gonna blurt it out like you just read it on a piece of paper. You're gonna actually have to make it a moment and so True. I tried to make it a moment so, so for those listening typically we are given the note of read it cold and then justify it with emotion and make it real uh, tonight we saw a lot of reading it to make it real versus reading it cold and I think that's exactly what Adam was touching on right now that that allowed the audience to connect to the situation a lot quicker than I've seen in the past so. and it just ha- I mean how convenient was it the suggestion was dolphin I decided to start fishing, and then Joe decided to make it that we were fishing in the tanks at SeaWorld. That was great, yes, Andy. But how perfect was it that we were two guys fishing? I was giving him a hard time because I had, for some reason, even though I'm right-handed, created a left-handed reel, became aware of it, and then made an issue of it, like, all right, he has to use my thing. I said, all right, but you can't handle the left-handed thing. And then it turned out I was his father, which is like a perfect father-son thing. That is like a very fatherly way to uh, approach something. Yeah, and, and again, more luck later on down the line. You had yet another line about a son, and uh, my son went to Harvard, which is, I mean, odds of that. I feel like that happens a lot in my Yeah, you know, if the, if the scene is good, it ends up being, uh, no matter what line you pick up, it works. Just like in life, you know, you can basically say anything if you're in a real situation. Oh, that's deep. Yeah, that's real deep, Ernie. <laughs> Ernie giving us fatherly advice. Yeah, I know. I do feel like we're getting fatherly advice from Ernie right now. Ernie is our favorite dad on the team. <laughs> How many dads do we have? That, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, looking around the table, no, 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 no. Steve. I'm not Steve, a dad. Yes, Steve is a dad. Steve is a dad. Yeah. Matt. Matt. Ernie. 
That's uh, not on Al. the team. No, he's a coach. And Al. And Al, yeah, there's four. Do you think that, uh, Ernie, do you think that being a father, uh, how, how much can you take onto the stage from your experience as a father or things that you learn from your kids that you bring on stage? How, how often do you think that works its way into improv? I'll tell you, um, my daughter being 16, I learn a lot about um, kid culture. So a lot of the references that I normally Which I think we, wouldn't get. Most of us would call pop culture. Yeah. But I, I think it's cute that you call it kid culture. Uh, a lot of the things that I, I think the references I wouldn't normally get as a 51-year-old man, um, I totally know all the 16-year-old references now Yeah. because of that. Do you think that the, uh, the next generation is pretty much screwed based on what you know about them? Nah, I don't. <laughs> really? No, I think they're fine. I, I, say, fine. I am surprised to hear that Ernie is 51. I thought he was like, oh my god, he looks 10 years younger than me at 38. Yeah. I'm 33. I'm like, Ernie and I, we're the same freaking age. Whatever. Well, I'll, be, I'll be 33 in... Two hours. Happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Happy yeah. birthday. I'm Sir. fucking dead serious. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to curse. I and I'm 76, which makes me the old Adam, you look amazing for 76. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, he's semi-retired. Still teaching a little bit, and we're working with us here at NCT. Yeah, there you go. So there is one thing from practice, actually, that I want to bring up and just put out there and see what you guys think about it. And maybe we'll pull in uh, Keely to talk about this a little bit. But there was a moment where, of course, we were... We were let's call it hazing Afton and uh, making a lot of dick jokes and vaginal references and um, I mean what do you guys think yeah a lot of heavy innuendo nothing direct and nothing super vulgar but I kind of like got to a point and in, in I wonder if you guys felt this too that like you wonder if it goes too far ever if it's too much like a guy's locker room or if it's all fun and games and it's just team bonding and what is the line there and, I think everyone's got their own personality, and we didn't take it down the road of going too far in the sense of a locker room, but there are still sensitivities for a lot of different people around a lot of different subjects where maybe, maybe we may need to tone it down for the sake of for building that team. We may not have connected with certain players yet well enough to be able to do those types of jokes that frequently, once in a while you get a dick joke or you get a vagina joke and it's fine, but... Sometimes when you do it consistently, it's way too much. So, did you guys feel like we crossed the line at all? At I don't. I don't think so. And here's why: because I think intent counts for a lot. Of course, if, that's if you're, exactly. If you're trying to um, dominate somebody or be offensive, then and you can feel it. But we're all totally just kidding around. Yeah. So I think it, for, for in our case, intent counts for a lot. So, Keely, just to kind of catch you up, we're talking about practice today and sort of discussing, the guys are discussing, you know, whether or not the locker room talk gets a little bit too much, um, or, you know, have we crossed the line, do we ever cross the line, and we are, does it make it exclusive, uh, or, you know, uh, for our, our female uh, players, or do you feel like it's, it's just all part of the, the show and everyone gets their turn? You know, how, how do you feel uh, after the practice today? That it's a little dick joke heavy. I don't know if I'm like the best female representation of our team to weigh in on this. You define yourself as a feminist. I am a feminist. And with that, I mean that, you know, I don't think that women need to be treated like delicate little flowers. But I know that some people come from really conservative households. And I know for some people, like, saying cuss words is really shocking. Right, but then that's not a gender issue. That's just a... Right, exactly, exactly. 
so my perspective is, you know, I grew up with a brother who is 15 months older than me, and we would do fart jokes and dick jokes in high school all the time, and then I live with Joe, and that's pretty much my life all the time. So I wasn't, to me, it was the norm. To me, I honestly didn't even notice until it really started rolling down the hill, like, oh, this is the game that we're playing right now, until I started to gauge the reaction of some people in the group who I thought maybe were a little bit more offended. So, um, the, the question or the follow-up that I have is, we don't do it intentionally to try to push buttons. And I don't really think anybody took it that way today. I'd be really surprised if I heard that someone was like that upset by it. I think after a while it got really repetitive and maybe it was like, guys, I really want to do a montage. Like, let's just get to a montage. But even I, like, messed up on that because I was like, okay, I'm going to wipe this thing with picture. We're not going to do a dick joke. And then he said something like, healthy protein. And I was like, well, shit. Like, and I'm the one that made it into a sexual joke. So. But as, as soon as Afton said it, it's almost like opening yourself. The whole thing is just like, okay, let, this is what it's going to be about now. I mean, that's just kind of how the humor works. So. But, but at the same time, I think Afton also expresses herself openly in the group, and none of us take her opinions and tear them down. We actually validate them, and we, we build on her opinions and her viewpoints on a lot of things as well. Knowing when to be playful, for example, in that scene about you and the feminism and the grandmother, every single thing that I did as the grandmother today, uh, although in general would cross the line, it was very much true to what we were trying to accomplish within that scene. Well, and I really think that Senate Company is a family, especially during our practices. There's a lot of stuff we do in practice that we would never do on stage. And I've been in improv communities before where I haven't felt as supported as I do on Sunday Company. And so maybe in those situations, I would have taken it personally. But I can't even think of one situation remotely in a Sunday Company practice where I ever felt like anybody was intentionally poking fun at me or making me feel bad about myself, nor have I ever witnessed anybody doing that to anybody else. So, so how, how long have you felt that support from the Sunday Company? Was it before you were on Sunday Company? Was it just when you joined Sunday Company? Did it take a while to build up? Um, it probably was right when I joined Sunday Company because I think the relationship that anybody has with Sunday Company as a whole, not being on the team, is very different than being on the team. Like, I have obviously been in our theater since I was a kid, and I've known Sunday Company for a long time, but very different dynamic when you get to go to practice and you get to hear the inside jokes as opposed to meeting up at the bar later and being like, oh, let me tell you something funny that happened at practice earlier, you know? But I, I mean, I don't know about you or me because we joined at the same time, but I felt that like connection immediately with everyone. I never felt like, oh, I'm nervous to go into a scene because I don't know any of these people, you know? Well, the, the benefit that we all have, too, is that everyone has been involved with the theater since before Sunday Company. Like, Ernie has worked with the theater for a long time doing voice housing and concessions. Keely, you've done house management, you've done voice, you've done concessions and everything else, and you were part of the performing teams before that. Both of you guys were in house teams, you were in college team before that. So I feel like you've established yourselves within this community in terms of Sunco, and on top of that, got to know the Sunco people even before joining the team. So that, that also plays an additional benefit to the whole joining and feeling immediately like you're part of the family. Sorry, I feel that way about people on main stage too. Like if I, there have been a few times where I've shown up to mashup and people are like, hey, last minute, do you want to join our group? 
and even if it's people I've never met before, I just don't feel like it's the energy of our theater for people to try to steal other people on purpose or for anyone to try to, you know, outwit each other to make someone look worse than you. Um, so I would feel comfortable enough doing a show with anybody at our theater, a college team person, main stage person, house team, whatever, because I think we've all had the same training. You know, we've all... The values seem to be similar. Right, exactly. Exactly. Well, can I just throw, I, obviously this is coming from a male perspective, and I understand the limitations of that, but to me, and I think you, you almost said this earlier, censoring a particular topic out of, quote, respect for a woman, to me that's gender bias. I think that any topic should be available to anybody. In the past, I think that when I've been privy to situations where women weren't being treated fairly in improv companies, it's more like men assign them a role in a scene of they're a prostitute or they're the mother or whatever and don't give them an opportunity to play whatever they want to play. And I don't feel like we do any of that. I don't think that going blue in rehearsals is in any definition anti-feminist. No, I don't think it's that. I do think, though, to bring up to your earlier fact, there just are people that don't speak with the language that we were speaking with today. And that can be men and women. And that exactly. can make people feel uncomfortable. So. By the way, you know what's making me feel uncomfortable is that Adam's talking while waving a buffalo wing bone in my face. And I think... It's actually kind of impressive and really manly. Like, I like it. Like, his I muscles was... are starting to bulge out of his shirt, and, like, his testosterone levels are just going through the roof. It's crazy. It, I'll Thank tell you for you. noticing, by the way. <laughs> One thing I, I will tell you, you guys mentioned, uh, you know, how you felt right when you joined Sunco. I definitely had a period, probably the first three months or so, where I definitely felt intimidated a little bit. And not that anyone was, like, purposely doing anything to make me feel uncomfortable. I was. I just, I, I just definitely felt like it was, it was something, you know, inside of me that I felt not ready to fully open up to the team. And uh, it took me a while to kind of warm up. Um, and I think there's two reasons for that. I know when you and Tim got brought up, nobody had gotten brought up to Sunny Company for like a year or longer than that. So you, so this, you had this group of people who had bonded so well just with their small circle, and then you and Tim were like outsiders being brought in. And also, Ernie and I both have worked in the theater for so long for a Sunday Company that even if we didn't know every single person on a personal level, we knew. I felt like both of us knew a lot of the people on Sunday company while joining. So I think both of those factors could have led to us just jumping in. Plus, we had you and Tim when we joined, who know, like, we know that you guys have done workshops, and we know that you guys have done house teams, and so there was a lot that we could have related to you guys. Uh, you, you're going to think I'm silly, and they're going to think I'm silly, but I, I can uh, recall a particular moment in a montage where I was watching Brendan and Meredith together Meredith was like coming to practice and, and kind of engaging in practice and I was like dude I don't want to get in this I'm I'm gonna stay out and just watch I feel like I'm gonna fuck this up so and, and like they in particular like I was like whoa dude they're they're way better than me right now I don't even want to mess with this and it, it was the first time that I felt that because at, at house teams you like you gain a lot of confidence you know you're you're amongst people that you're performing with on a bi-weekly basis and it's a completely different story but on Sutka I was like whoa dude I don't know if this is for me like here's Brennan and Meredith like 
they're running this whole montage. <laughs> and I, here I am. I'm just going to drift on into the corner over here and pull the black curtain over my face and hope no one calls me out. But thankfully, actually, in, in the, the instance I'm thinking of, Matt started a scene wiped and pulled me out, saw what I was doing, saw me sulking in the background and pulled me. Yeah, exactly. I felt that way. And, and uh, I feel like I've, you know, I've kind of come a long way since that, of course, but it took me a long time, I felt like, to come out of my shell from, a, you know, in Sunco. But. And I, I don't think you're alone in that. I've definitely talked to a few people who are newer who might have felt that transitionary period as well. Because we all got so comfortable on our house teams. I mean, I don't know how long you were on a house team for. Uh, but at least a year. Yeah, like a year, year and a half. Yeah, I know I was on a house team for over two years. I know you were on a house team for a long time. So it's just a different change in dynamic, you know, when you come to a bigger group. Adam wasn't. Adam got pulled up pretty quick, I feel like. How long so were you on house teams? Afton was on for six months. Yeah, Afton is really the, the wonder kid here because I've been doing improv since 1999. So I was only on a house team here for a short time, but I came to San Diego. Let's see, I came here in 2014, so I had 15 years of improv training and experience before I got here. So if I got moved up quickly, I think it was just kind of in recognition of my background. Um, so I, I think there's there's a, an additional factor, not just the whole coming up from house scenes and getting acclimated quickly and that comfort level and how quickly we can become comfortable with people, but... There's a number of us on Sunco that, for some reason or another, left Sunco for an extended period of time, whether it be a couple of months of quick hiatus or a longer hiatus of a year or more, and then have come back. Just to name a few, it'll be Brendan, for example, who moved to New York uh, for a little bit, uh, Sarah, who, le who left for LA for a little bit, and, uh, Jessica, who went to Seattle for a while, and myself, I took a few months off here and there every so often just to uh, recenter and focus, but getting back in that mindset of improv, of collaboration, of team building, of working collaboratively to build scenes and structure has also been a part of it. Christian, when you've taken a, a little, you know, short hiatus, have you felt rusty coming back or did you feel like you slotted right in? No, absolutely rusty, absolutely. When, when I don't get that consistent rehearsal, the consistent practice, consistently being involved with improv, you lose it a little bit. No matter who you are, it gets rusty. So for me, I know that I've come back and I, it, it took me two months before I would even get on stage after I came back this last time. And I told Matt that, look, I'm not ready for stage time yet. And even to this day, it's been a couple months I've been back on stage, I still feel rusty. And even last week's show, I did not feel at the top of my game at all and, and I think my contribution to the team has been more of a background player overall while I'm building up that level of confidence and getting that rust to kind of brush off but, but at the same time the team has made it so easy for me to come back and feel comfortable to where I understand like yes I can be part of this so really the dick jokes are what kind of have, have brought you back really that's been like the defining moment is bringing you into the dick jokes well you know what sometimes we all have dick jokes and sometimes we don't. And I feel like sometimes I tend to have more dick jokes than others, but everyone <laughs> seems to say them before I care. So, yeah. But the dick, I mean, the dick jokes aside, it is very much one of those things where collaboration and connecting with the other players 
is what makes it possible. And I think we all do that for each other. So it's it's beneficial. And it's not just the in the theater thing, it's outside of the theater. We all are comfortable still reaching out and conversing with each other. I know that we're working on the marketing stuff, working on uh, the podcast stuff. And we are very much open, like whose turn is it, who's gonna work on what, who's gonna take the lead. And it's something that, it is, like Kelly was saying, a family that we have, so. And, and we, uh, you know, we all, you can tell, we all eat it up, just like right in front of me. Adam is eating up buffalo wings at an incredible pace, and he's leaving nothing but bare bones. It's extremely impressive. And um, yeah, let me just clarify. I am on this keto diet where I don't eat carbs, and I did not eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. So this double order of wings is my There's entire... wing sauce all over his phone yep. at this point. It's actually uh, saving it for later. When I get home, I like to lick my phone. <laughs> but I'm glad you noticed, because it's a technique you could probably emulate. Yeah, I'll say. But listen, Adam, do your thing, man. I mean, you're you're eating wings. You had some funny lines tonight, so you know, do your thing, man. Uh, but at that note, uh, it's time for us to wrap up the adequate show. Uh, thank you for joining us once again. It's time for us to wrap up because now his food got here. Thank you all. I uh, hope you join us for next week and uh, see you at the next uh, next show. Final notes? Final note, enjoy your wings, enjoy your tots, and uh, come see our shows. We will definitely make it uh, an experience. All right, thanks everyone for joining. This is Christian, Daniel, Ernie, Adam, and everyone else from Suncoast signing off. <laughs> This has been Adequate, the Sunday Company After Show, live from the Regal Beagle. Thanks for listening.